We're back with Chapter 35. Yes, after taking a week off to darn socks, churn butter, and make arrows, we are back (laughs) in podcast mode. And today, we'll introduce you to one of the largest castles in France, southwest, the Chateau Biron. And of course, Julie will have the French phrase of the day. It's Jeff and Julie moved to France during a global pandemic. Are you like me? No, at all. (laughs) Like opposites. I just meant to say, (laughs) are you like me in that uh, I'm, I'm still getting used to the switches, the light switches? You mean how to turn a light on and off? Very funny. The fact that they're reversed here, like it, when you go up, it's it's off and down is on. Do you, did you not notice that? To be honest, uh, no. I just, <laughs> it never occurred to me because I would just press it whichever way it goes. Like Yeah. And so, so if it gets lighter, that means it's yeah, on. Yeah, it's on. No, no. I just, it's just that when I look at a light switch, typically in Canada, if it's down, it's off. Unless it's a three-way switch or something like that, but... Here. It's also we have different switches here. Like it's not like those little no, no, knobby things. No, but it's still like when it's pushed in at the top, it's it's off, which mm-hmm. is just the opposite. That's all I'm saying. It's a great observation. I thought so. It doesn't really matter at all. I just was wondering if you'd gotten used to it yet or not. It never bothered me. No, I'm not saying it bothered me. I'm just saying I, it's something. No, I you know. sound perplexed. Like you sound like it's like a big deal. I think it's more the conversation that's perplexing than the actual issue. And it's not an issue. It's just an observation. Well, it works. Hey, <laughs> we got new doctors. A doctor. We got a we new doctor. got a doctor. So last week, or no, two weeks ago, um, we mentioned that I had booked an appointment further afield um, on the online um, uh, aggregate website called Doctolib. Because I wanted absolutely to find a general practitioner. And I booked it that day for like a month ahead, a month from that time. Mm -hmm. And on that very day, we get a call from our local medical office uh, asking us if we want to come in and take a meeting with the doctor. Yeah, we had mentioned that in Chapter 34, but we, we hadn't gone to see our doctor yet. And, and <laughs> didn't we say that we're not canceling the first one until we want to... Just in until, case. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't know what to expect. Like, you know, we every, this is all... These are all firsts for us. Mm-hmm. So we we contact our Canadian doctors and get our medical files sent to us. That's right. And we print it all up. And, you know, they're all in English. So we thought that might be a problem. But anyway, we bring our folder full of, of documentation that, you know, has our, ma- our past medical history, all that stuff. And we, we go to the medical uh, office and are greeted and asked to sit down. And we sat down and we didn't know which doctor we were meeting. We didn't know if it was a man, a woman. Uh, we had no Something, clue. Yeah. Now, in our, in our wish list, we both tend to gravitate towards female doctors. I it's mean, a preference. It, yeah, you know. it's just a personal preference. I've had female doctors my whole life, pretty much. And so that was kind of, that. it, it didn't really, you're like, here, beggars can't be choosers, no. right? No, we were, were about to meet with someone who potentially was going to take us on as patients. Right, which is, you know, this is the big, the big step. So we were hoping it would be a, a female doctor. And the one that I just knew would never happen was a doctor who also spoke English. Right. 
Because I, I, so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, from this point forward, every time I go to the doctor's office, or at least until I learn the language better, I'm going to be on the uh, the translate app. Yeah, it hurts here, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the door opens, and a, a young woman. Uh, asks us to come and sit down into the office. She sits on the other side of the deck desk, and she goes, "Hi, I'm." Uh, she said it in French. "Hi, I'm Dr. Judith." Yeah, and then my first question is, uh, "Vous parlez anglais?" And uh, she said, "Wait." Oui. <laughs> so I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so it was like winning the jackpot because okay, we got we got a, f- a female doctor. She speaks English. She, she speaks really very good English. Yeah, and. The third, a part of the trifecta, is the fact that she's not 105. Well, and, and there, there's there's actually a fourth. Okay. It's right next door because we were sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to have to go to Toulouse or Bordeaux because n- there are no sort of country doctors in our area. And we find one in our actual town. And I just, I can't believe. And the other thing is, she sort of splits off uh, as being a, a GP and training doctors to become uh, certified. Yes. Huh. So yeah. she's a, a smarty pants. Uh, we hit it off. She's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you had no problem canceling the, the other uh, doctor appointment. No, it was very easy to do online. And uh, and now we can, t- you know, now we can get sick. Yes, we can get sick. <laughs> we have our card. We have a doctor. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I'll, I'll Life just, is good. I'll just be I'll just be licking handlebars everywhere. <laughs> yes. So, uh, no, we're very, very excited about that. It's kind of like the last big piece of the puzzle, isn't it? Yeah, I mean there are other little small pieces yeah. that we have to deal with, but that was that was a uh, I would I would say very challenging, and that was a, a big piece, and it feels really good. It was a big one. Yeah, it feels really good. Oh, by the way, sorry we weren't here last week. We forgot to address that. No, we just had all kinds of stuff going on, and got a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah, a little bit overwhelmed. Didn't want to put together a crappy podcast, so uh, <laughs> well, too late. <laughs> But uh, yeah, what did you say? It's better to do one good podcast than two crappy podcasts. That's that's what I said. And yeah. <laughs> kinda, oh well, oh well. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Uh, you, you try. You, you throw some stuff at the wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're back, and and uh, you know, if I, and that's the thing. If we if we don't feel we have uh, the makings of a good podcast, I'm not going to force it. Yeah, and like this isn't this isn't a job. It's something that we're doing for enjoyment. So if if one of us isn't feeling well, or if there's not enough, you know, Mater- there aren't if there aren't enough topics yeah. that are interesting for you. Then, yeah, we don't then, want to waste your time. Of course, right. Uh, but we were just talking about how many uh, how how I love the people here. They're just everybody is so friendly. I mean, you know. Um, Everybody says hello, you know, wherever you go around here. Now, I was talking to our buddy Jeremy, who's from here, and he was saying, and eh, not so much in Paris, not so much in the big cities, but around here, we were, <laughs> Jeremy and I are in the middle of, uh, we're picking up some uh, iron and, and wood at a place called Metal Bois. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and this couple walks through and, bonjour, bonjour, like in the middle of a, you know, a, 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 an industrial room it doesn't matter where you are people say hi and same with uh, we took julie's car in that i that i smashed, smashed up while mm-hmm. i wasn't in it mm-hmm. um we took that off to the auto body shop uh the other day was it yesterday maybe i don't uh, know it was monday monday and um 
And anyway, just the nicest, the nicest lady. Oh, uh, she's, you know what? She's in a, a perpetual good mood, that woman. Because we had to take two cars. And the, <laughs> the other car that I took also scratched up while I was trying to pa- uh, park fast. And I hit some, well, I didn't hit anything. I just brushed it against some branches. branches and it scratched the nice paint on the car. And so we just showed her the problem. And she brought out her guy who does all the estimates. And he said, uh, no problem. When you come and pick up the other car, we'll, bu- we'll buff this out. <laughs> yeah, and that's when you showed her a picture of the truck. Oh, yeah, that, that's okay. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to get You know, in. the... Yeah, we don't have to... Dent in the door. Yeah, we don't... We don't it's okay. Yeah. We'll, I think you are just trying... You're, you're trying to belong in France. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to be like every other car owner and have a dent or a scratch. Yeah, yeah. Or a missing bumper. Well, or so I, th- I think that's your yeah. your part of being, I know. I'm, you know, part I'm, of the community. I feel shame because I'm a very good driver. And all these things happen when I'm parked. It's just like everything's, <laughs> all this stuff is happening when the car is still or, or, or I'm not in it. Well. It's very strange. You've got a great track record. Okay, well, we're moving on now, and we're going to get that fixed. And then, uh, hey, no tickets. I haven't had any tickets. You know, that's a really good point. Long time now. Yep, yep. So... What would you prefer, tickets or dents? I, I don't know. That's too tough. Okay. That's too tough of a question. I don't know the answer to that. I guess it depends what... I guess... Maybe tickets without points. Yeah. Would be better than dents. Yeah, I don't like the dents. No. Uh, don't like the dents. Anyway, so we got that going and finally got the workshop rocking. And you know what? It's funny. I didn't realize, but like I love woodworking and it's taken a long time to, to get this workshop. It's on a mezzanine level of the barn. Get it working. Get it up and running. Get the equipment hooked up, the dust system, the whole thing. So I finally started working on it yesterday and I realized it's over two years since I've done a work a woodworking project because the last one would have been in Rockwood. Mm-hmm. And the, the beautiful little outbuilding we had there for the workshop, I spent thousands of hours in that place yeah that was your man cave doing one thing or another make yeah. building one thing or another and that had to all kind of get closed down in september of 2020 when we moved so and do you do you feel like you, you can get rusty if you haven't been exactly. regularly working that's on your... why that's why this first project is kind of a dummy project for me i'm just building a, a rack for all my uh, clamps it... and it's just it's just a chance to try out all the equipment you know and get my, you know, it's it's not like riding a bike. You gotta, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the ciphering and the. I've already made a couple of major mistakes. And have and, you? Yeah, yeah. Just, what are they? Just oh, being I want to know. No, no, being stupid. You'll never know. Okay. I'll I'll know they're there, but you'll never know. Okay. Yeah. No, this no. this is on your 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 clamp device. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be fine. It'll okay. Be it's fine. just a clamp device. It's right. Yeah. Okay. It's not like I'm. The next project is the shutters. I'm doing redoing all of the shutters on the on the house. Yeah. So it would be more dramatic if you made a big slip up yeah. on those. Yeah. Okay. But, all right. Uh, that's good. That's why they make more wood. <laughs> That's why they're so. I got those two things going, and I'm I'm happy. It's it's nice to just kind of as we're easing into the off season here, the crappy, rainy, cold, chilly season. Mm-hmm. I'll be ready to go All in right. the workshop making you things. That's wonderful. I know we've got a little honeydew list no for kidding. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, and those are bigger projects. Like I'm building an island for the outdoor kitchen, and I'm building the bar area here. So those are bigger things. I want to be top of my game by the time I hit that stride. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're enjoying. I am. Um 
So I think we've talked about the fact that there's really a lack of TV shows to watch well, but on what, our standard television. Well, but the problem is we, we, we don't have a, a, a subscription because we don't have fiber. And there's no point in getting one with right. our little box. So whenever that happens, we'll get better TV. But you're right. Right now we don't. So my top show uh, out of all of the shows that are available, and I think there are three, um, is... It's not uh, that bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Do you know that they, they um, dub Pimp My Ride? No. Oh, my God. It's, I don't even know what the show Pimp My Ride well, is. Well, it's, it's when two or th- more people um, fix cars and, and juice them up and put bumpers on them and big wheels and... I don't I, I don't know. But just the guy saying pimp my ride in French is funny. Anyway, so that's not on my list. But this next show is. It's called Épicerie Fine. And I looked up what Épicerie Fine would be in English and I was really surprised because I thought it would be like fine food. But it's not. When When you search, it's delicatessen. Oh, so in your mind, is a delicatessen a place for fine no, food? God, no, no, right? Well, no. Well, a, de- a deli is like to me especially, sandwiches. Well, yeah, but especially I always think when I think of the word deli, I think of like uh, Schwartz's in Montreal or uh, Dunn's in Montreal. I I always think of oh deli food like I smoked smoke uh, Montreal smoked meat sandwich. You know that's that's what yeah, I think. That was my perception yeah. as well. But I think we're wrong because when you look at the definition of a, a delicatessen in English, it's you know a, purvey, a small purveyor of fine foods, meats, cheeses, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So so that's the equivalent then of épicerie fine. Okay. So this show is hosted by uh, a, a Michelin star chef um, called Guy Martin. Who, yeah, he's neat. He's, he's really cool. He's very passionate, really passionate about food and about, you know, products and produce and, and the producers. And and he's got uh, a Michelin star restaurant in Paris. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's very busy writing books, doing his TV show. He's been doing the show since 2011. They're now in season seven. Holy and I think the first two seasons, they did 35 episodes each. And every season after that was 26. So that's hundreds of shows. And they're all fascinating. Well, and, and here's the thing. I, I Every once in a while, I come in and I, I, I just check out what you're watching. The passion that these people have for things like mushrooms and truffles and cheese and clover and prunes. And it's lavender. Just and unbelievable. And so the, the concept of the show is that, you know, uh, the, the chef, Guy Martin, introduces um, the, the terroir, so the area that they're going to be going to. And they talk about one or two products that are that are specialties and have, you know, the uh, IGP approved oh, yeah. um, label. And he um, he will often go and meet with these producers, and these producers like it's in their blood. They've been doing they they've either either taken over from their parents, you know, and and it's it's such a passion for them to produce this top quality product, whatever it is. Not unlike uh, Anne Marie and and, uh, Danielle, and then their son Jeremy. I mean, you know, they've been in the prune business for years and years, and and you know the. Pruno Dajon, it's a big deal. 
It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. So, you know, I I rarely see a rerun. <laughs> it's not that I'm watching TV all day long either. But, you know, when I have it on, I, when I see a, a new product that I, uh, I, I don't know about, you know, like, you know, picking picking um, figs, picking figs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, how, how to pick them properly and how to prepare them properly. And so there's this this uh, meat that goes into um, the, the, the majority of the show where you get to see how things are, are, are cultivated, how things are raised, how the farmers do it, why it's so special. And then at the end, uh, the chef will offer a recipe with a combination of the elements that were presented in the show. And he cooks it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you know what? God love him. But he's got too many ingredients. Like I, I can't follow. It's like sometimes I go, oh, I would really like to try that. But then it's like 10 different ingredients that has to go, you know, they have to go is, into the recipe. Is there a website that, that you mm-hmm. can go to for each episode and get all yes. the, yeah, well, yeah, it's on TV5. So I, I don't know if you can get that anywhere, but in, those are that is where his show airs. That's probably the best bet is to just go and check out the recipes that are on the on each episode because it's a it really is it's a very interesting show and they they do feature every single region and department in france and ours has been on there a number of times yeah and you know the cool thing they always they always show the hexagon which is what they call france because it's kind of shaped like a hexagon um and they will highlight the area that they are going to mm-hmm. and so, so for me it, it, there i discover areas that i don't know about that i go oh, i really would like to to go there that mm-hmm. looks like a really uh, interesting place to go um but yeah the passion just uh, from the growers producers uh and and the chef is just it's just well and great to see and and you really wonder and i think you explained it for the most part it's hand hand me down businesses family run mm-hmm. businesses you know but geez like why aren't you into truffles because i'm into mushrooms I, you know i it, it's amazing to me that yeah. they are just so passionate about little tiny ingredients and, and, and also it depends on their terroir so on their earth mm-hmm. on, on the the area that they live so some products can't go, can't grow in in the northern part of france so they cultivate you know um, a different they d- cultivate mash which you discovered mm-hmm. here that you really like and you know talk you talk about the terroir if you want to uh, if if you want to check something out that's just amazing to me and i learned this in my little wine class that i took in ontario but check check out what the best wines in the world bordeaux grow in just go and google that one for a for a, a good laugh because it's gravel yeah. it, it it doesn't look like there's any dirt in there whatsoever rocks uh, rocks and we've been there we've been to you know uh, bordeaux and saint emilion and it's true it's just rocks i guess that they the, the it's the drainage that makes it so amazing and but even between here and Bordeaux, there are different terroirs, and the wines taste uh, accordingly different. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I got curious because you know this chef uh, is is a Michelin starred chef, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to know where where that came from and how the, how it works. And so the interesting thing is the Michelin Guide started in France, and it was two brothers. Okay, they owned a tire company called Michelin. 
Oh, and it does have something to do with the tires. It does. The Michelin Man. <laughs> I did not know that. Yep, it does. So they decided um, that at the time, and this is in 1920, there weren't a lot of cars in France. Um, and so they wanted to encourage people to uh, own cars and travel and, and increase tourism. So they decided that they would promote restaurants mm-hmm. and develop a guide. And the first, I think the first one had advertising in it and so on and so forth. Um, but eventually, uh, it, it, people would purchase it because it was such a quality. Yeah, so it's stringent. It, like it's the, it, the criteria yeah. is really. So much information in it. So um, there are three, not four possibilities. You can be zero. Oh, oh, and still be a Michelin? No. If you're zero, no. That means that, that the anonymous uh, testers. Um, d- did not think that you deserved a star. Oh. Uh, you could be two star or three star. Three star is the highest. Not one star? No. If you've got three, that's better than one. No, no, no. You, you just went from zero to two to three. Oh, sorry. Zero stars, one star, oh. two star, three star. Okay. Okay, so um, as I said, th- this is all decided by people who go into restaurants anonymously mm. and and uh, give an estimation on how they enjoyed the experience. And what do they do? Just come and ring the bell and go, "Hey, you're a two star Michelin restaurant." No, so th- these are there's a group of these people that mm-hmm. go to the various restaurants and and then they compare notes and they discuss because they've all gone to a specific restaurant. Oh, I see. And they go, "Oh, you thought that was good. Oh, I didn't I didn't think that the price was right or I didn't think the ambiance was right or the chef was cranky or whatever it was that d- deterred from the experience." So, that will determine the number of stars that that um, a restaurant will get. I want that job. <laughs> no, I really want that job. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the criteria is pretty simple. I mean, first of all, it's the quality of the products. Okay. And, you know, it's it's so big now everywhere to, to buy local because it's fresher. So the quality is important. The mastery of the presentation and the flavors. Okay. The combination, the personality of the chef, the value for your money, and the consistencies between the inspector's visits. Okay. So that will determine your rating. So the way they do it is they'll say, okay, we're going to go to restaurant ABC. Frank, you and Janice are going on September 15th, and then you two are going in October sometime. Yes. And then, oh, I see. Yes. So um, this is a fun fact. Which country has the most Michelin star restaurants? Whoa. Which country has the most Michelin star restaurants? I'd have to say Etats-Unis. Uh, Wrong. Not not America. Okay. Nope. So is it uh, is it Italy? Nope. Okay. Well, I'll say France then. You're right. Bingo. Okay. okay. Yes, France has almost uh, 760 Michelin star restaurants. Number two will surprise you. Really? Huh? Yeah. Hungry? No. Uh, you, you won't get it. So I'll just say okay. it's Japan. Oh, okay. Japan's got 550. Holy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then Italy with 430, Germany with 384, and in fifth place is the U.S. Okay. With 276, so big difference. That's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, and you know, America's huge. It's a big country, so. 
Yeah. You know? But, you know, France has been around longer. Mm-hmm. Culinary skills has, has been passed on from generation to generation. As a matter of fact, like the top, the top three, uh, out of the top three Michelin-starred chefs, two of them are French. Um, one of them, Joël Rubichon, has 32 stars. Alain Ducasse has 21. Number three is not French. Oh. And we've eaten at his restaurant. Oh, is that the one? In Bordeaux. In Bo- oh, oh, really? Yep. A while back. Yeah, I know the one. We've been there twice. No, we were there once, and we ate on the rooftop. Oh, wow, I don't remember. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah? Yeah, I do remember that like vaguely. A, yeah, okay. Yeah. So the, n- number three with the number of Michelin stars is Gordon Ramsay. Okay. He's no got kidding. 17. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that I thought that was really kind How many of, how, like how many number of uh, 3? So 3 is the max? Yes. How many how many of those would there be kicking around? Because that's 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 the top of the heap. Uh in France there are 30. That's all? Mhm. 33 star Michelin restaurants. Yeah. Like that means that it's worth traveling to. It's Whoa. a destination. You must go for the experience. Huh. Yeah. And I, I, the majority are in Paris, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. That's, that's cool. You know, Montpazier has a, a Michelin restaurant. Oh, this, we went to Montpazier uh, last week, was it? Yeah. Oh, man, do I love this little city and a, a little village. And again, this is a, a part of living here. We don't need to put the dogs in kennels and go on big trips. We've got 25 years worth of day trips. To places like Montpazier. What a gorgeous little village this is. Also one of the most beautiful villages in France. Yes. It's a Bastide. It was, I think, uh, founded in like late 1200s. I will I will be uh, posting many pictures from Montpazier. Yeah, it, it's really charming. And you know what's, what I noticed was diff- different, I think, from some of the other Bastide towns, is it was very lively with shops and merchants, and they yeah. had a little museum. And and then, as I mentioned, there's really fine dining. The restaurant in Montpazier that is uh, Michelin star is Eleanor's. We didn't eat there. Well, we will. We, we we will. Yeah. Um, but we had a, a really good lunch at Bistro Deux. They, they, it was very tasty and mm-hmm. in a like it was a, a covered pagoda terrace. Yeah. And the really cool thing was the number of puppy dogs. Oh yeah, the dogs. Well, <laughs> there was one too many. But <laughs> yeah, it's almost. I've got to say, it's seventy to eighty percent of the time that we go to a restaurant here, there are at there are dogs, yeah. at least one dog. And until this one episode, every dog has been well-behaved. Um, I mean, I think that's part of the whole thing. If you if you are going into a public spa- space with your animal, you have to make sure that you can, you know, discipline them, that they know the, what the, the rules are, because you don't want to be disruptive to someone's and, experience. And it's always the person's fault. It's never the dog's fault. And this was a classic example. By the way, this was a, you're right, this was a, a neat little restaurant, and they sure had the location because the arches to the to the town were like right there. You could see them. Mm-hmm. So you pretty much have to walk by this restaurant to enter uh, Montpizier, the old part. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there we are. We get there and there's already a dog there. It's already a dog there. And then while we were eating, two other dogs oh, came in. That's right. And and the there were the uh, 
people with the two whippets. They had two whippets, and those dogs were incredibly well-behaved. Really calm, yeah. There was a spaniel, and then this other spaniel. And here's the thing. You know what? Why why are some dog owners just so simple? Uh, like, I'll tell you what. This is a classic example of the dog being smarter than the owner. I would agree. So here's what was going on. The dog would yelp like a really piercing bark. And this is a very small little area. And we'd all jump. And then they'd, get, they'd yell at the dog. No. And then it would bark again. And the idiot man would feed the dog. Well, there you go. There, way to reward bad behavior. Yeah. Dog- Just such bad dog ownership. Yeah. In, in doggy's mind, bark, get food. That's it. It's that simple. <laughs> bark, get food. And they kept rewarding him, and finally... Uh, kudos. You know, the the, the uh, server came over and said, uh, this is not cool. It's not, not acceptable. On. You you guys need to leave. Yeah. It, and they were... He was pissed. They were noticeably Ooh. upset, but that was the right thing to do. Yeah, because everybody was... Like, the, the piercing sound of this dog's bark made everybody jump. And, and, of course, you know, here's the other thing you'll notice when you come to France, especially down here. It's very quiet in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You can have a very nice conversation at this level. Nobody, you very seldom have a loud table, unless there's somebody funny or whatever and there's a lot of laughter. You very seldom have a loud table. So when a dog yelps out like that, and it was probably 30 or 40 of these before they finally got turfed. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's uh, it's disconcerting. It's yeah. not fun. No, and but you know, it didn't, it, it really didn't disrupt our, our no. lunch very much. We have dogs, we... we you know, think that they didn't handle it properly, the the dog owners. But nonetheless, we had, you know, we had a good time. So note to uh, any dog owner out there, if you're going to reward behavior, make sure it's good behavior, okay? Don't be rewarding a dog for doing something stupid. <laughs> so we're talking about restaurants. We're talking about chefs. We're talking about Michelin stars. So it's time for the French phrase of the day. Oh, it has to do with restaurants. My favorite. So, uh, ce n'est pas parce qu'on est chef qu'on connaît la recette du succès. Okay, I wasn't ready. So, uh... Do you need it to be slower? A little bit, tiny bit. Okay. Ce n'est pas parce qu'on est chef qu'on connaît la recette du succès. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to just say no because I don't know what recette... Recette is recipe. Oh, recette. Recipe. Uh, uh, is it something to do with... Uh, it, it's, it's the chef that is responsible for the recipe something like that not close no it's yeah i'm not tuned in today so uh, translated um it's not because you're a chef that that you know the recipe to success what it's not because you're a chef that you know the recipe i don't even understand (laughs) it in english <laughs> Holy moly. It's not because you're a chef that you well, huh? that you know the recipe for success. Okay, then what is it? What do you mean? What do you understand? Well, if you, they make recipes. That's what they do. They cook. Oh, I like, see. They're always making recipes, but just because you're a chef, you might not know the recipe for success. Oh, okay. Why doesn't why didn't you say it that way? 
How did I not say it that you, way? You, you, what you didn't say was just because, because that's what makes it all clear. Just because you're a chef doesn't oh. mean you know the recipe for success. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Lost in translation. <laughs> but nonetheless, a very good, uh, once we got to it there, a uh, very good French phrase. That was, that was painful. Of the day. Yeah. I think I made it painful. Yeah. That's my, uh, that's my lot in life. That's my wheelhouse, mm. making things painful. Hey, one of the other things that we did. Actually, right after lunch. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did. Because we were in Montpezier. Uh, I think it's an 8 to 15 minute drive. Mm-hmm. And you are at... One of the largest chateaux in southwest France. It was impressive. Chateau. Chateau Biron. Chateau Biron. Byron. It's spelled Byron. B-I-R-O-N. Holy. Check out the Facebook page. Jeff and Julie moved to France. Got great photos of Montpazier. But I got to tell you, this chateau is staggering. And one of the reasons it's so staggering is because... There was something new done with it every century, pretty much from from the 12, 11, 1200s mm-hmm. through the 16, 1700s. So there are all of these additions according to who, you know, and, and it, it, it covers everything. It covers uh, medieval, renaissance, and classical. So it's got all of these different pieces of architecture uh, as as per whatever they required at the time. Yes, and and this chateau is in remarkable shape. Yeah, it's 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 nearly a thousand years old now. Unbelievable. And uh, we we decided we'd we'd wait for guests before we go inside. But you can still tool around on the outside, um, and and check it all out. And that's what I have uh, on chapter thirty five is photos from the outside. And I got to tell you, it is. Fantastic, and it was. This was in a more strategic position than uh, Bonnegay, uh, <laughs> Chateau Bonnegay, that we went to, which yeah. was kind of lost and never attacked. Not this one. This one uh, oh, was attacked. Five different sieges Ooh. over time wow. uh, in the Middle Ages, and uh, it's just got this most breathtaking panorama. Really cool. Has been visited by everybody in the world. Queen, do you know who this is? Uh, Jean Delbret. Do you know who Queen Jean Delbret was? No. That's Hank the Fourth's mom. Really? Yeah. Wow. Henry the Fourth's mom. She was there years ago. Uh, it's just the most. I, I, I got it. They call it the major site in Aquitaine, and it's uh, now owned by uh, the Dordogne uh, department. And so they keep it up, and they've just done an amazing job of this place. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going and, and seeing inside. There's also, I think they have major art yes. uh, showed. Well, they have major art shows, but they also have the remains of the frescoes that were painted from the 16th century on the walls. Really? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But yeah, they do have art shows there, and they've featured great artwork from some of the masters over the years. But it is just spectacular. Wait till you see the photos. And it's, uh, it's, it's an ancestral fortress for the Dukes of Buron. And uh, it's just, it's sprawling. It's gigantic. And uh, again, all of these different buildings that have been added on, it's got an amazing cathedral and then it's just... You know, every chateau needs a cathedral. Yeah, 
But this one is could uh, the cathedral itself is standalone, and then it's got everything around it. So definitely worth checking out. And uh, again, I encourage you to check out our Facebook page so that you can uh, get a better sense of the enormity of this amazing castle. And uh, when we have guests coming in October, and we have three sets of guests coming in October. We do. We've got a really busy October. Certainly one of them will uh, will benefit yeah, from we'll it. Yeah, we'll have to chat to see who we think would appreciate the chateau. Well, maybe we should chat with them. Oh, I mean, that's a because, good idea. Because maybe it'd be like, no, nah, I have no interest in going I've to I've seen all the chateaus. Yeah. I'm good. You've seen one chateau? You've seen them all. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely explore that in October. And this is clearly one of those places you don't want to go to in July or August, unless that's when you're forced to travel here. It really, I got to tell you, and we really have noticed it's dropped off quite nicely now, and we're into September, July and August. Oh, it just gets all knotted up at places like this. You don't want to go there. Well, if you, you know can what? And we're it. not even in a very no. touristic area. No. Um, and there was a noticeable amount of traffic in- increase. There was a noticeable amount of um, people in the grocery stores, mm-hmm. people walking around. You could tell that, you know, now post pandemic, people are starting to leave their their countries and, and traveling further afield. And I think that's real. That, for us, yeah. it's a little bit of a pain because we like our, we like it really quiet. But for the businesses here, the restaurants, the yeah, that's good. The shops, the merchants, um, they you know, I think they had a really good season. And it, it did linger into the early part of September. We found mm-hmm. uh, typically it just kind of wraps up right then. But I think a lot of people are saying, okay, now the tourists are gone. Let's go into the early part of September. So it kind of hangs on for a little bit longer. But October will be great for our guests. There'll be lots of. Uh, Uh, things to see and with very few tourists to bump into so we are looking forward to that on next week's show uh we're heading to another winery shocker and uh, (laughs) it's another chateau as well we will check out the chateau du cedre in Cahors, and uh, sample some of their product well, it would be rude not to, don't you think? That would be Terri- terrible. You don't rude. do that. No. No, you don't go into somebody's winery and just say, no, thank you. <laughs> no, no, I'll be pounding. I mean, I'll be sampling some of that. And uh, you can join us for Chapter 36 on that topic. Jeff and Julie moved to France during a global pandemic. Drops next Friday. Au revoir. Au revoir.